Good morning. The process is black and white, where two friends examine the trials and tribulations of starting their individual businesses with their cultural differences and similarities, along with whatever else accompanies them on their journey. Each week, they will discuss a few chapters from books that will transform you from being a wantrepreneur to an entrepreneur. Here's Vernon and Devin. question for you and it and it looms off of uh so i know you you've dropped the eagles years and years ago um but not so much eagles talk more so just like you know in in philly every everybody is like the quarterback whether you love them whether you hate them there's like this it's always a debate it doesn't matter who it is right sure always a debate but what I'm find what I come to find out is like most sports fans, it's not necessarily whether or not like you want this person to be good or bad. It's more so you you want to be right or you you want to be right. And what you initially initially said this person was going to be. I want to ask you when if that's the same way you are with certain things. I don't know. You can answer to that if you struggle with that from time to time but what was the and then what was the last thing that you predetermined was going to be the case and even as you were being proven wrong you you couldn't finally like give it up and go you know what I was wrong and how long did it last before you finally was like all right I'm I'm this this person's great or this thing's great and I totally slept on this from the start a uh, couple things. So first, is it's not like I gave up on the Eagles so much as I gave up on football. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, if you still ask me, like, what Eagles, what what football team do you root for? I'm picking the Eagles. It's the four for four thing, right? Gotcha. Gotcha. But I uh, don't watch football, so kind of don't care. Um, I do think that people are more excited to not be wrong or not have to change their opinion than they are to than they are rooting for something, rooting for an outcome, right? Like mostly people just are going for and I fall into that group too, for sure. I can't think of the last thing. The first one that came to mind is that and I remember because I feel stupid about it. But <laughs> the first few years of LeBron's career Oh, I was annoyed. I was annoyed that he was coming into the league as King James before <laughs> before he had ever done anything. And so I not that I missed it. You know what I mean? Like it was he was too good to miss. But I didn't enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't enjoy the fact that this dude was 19 years old and just a phenom immediately. So I like can think about that. Um, that's a good one. There's, you're not alone. It is. In that, yeah. There's sure. still some people holding on. There are people holding one. on to that, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, the uh, Bryce. Bryce is, I don't know if you remember Bryce. Bryce's mm-hmm. very first base hit, right? But, like, he hits the ball, and he hauls 
as hard as a human being can run down the first base line. And, and, you know, it was, and first of all, he's a national, he's this hyped player. He's a, you know, he's not on my squad. He's on a rival. Right. So mm-hmm. people were kind of ripping him for like gutting it down, like as fast as he, and he still does. He still runs hard down the first base line. And I remember like watching the game and being like, Oh man, this guy, like, that's what I want. And then I remember hearing everybody get upset about it. Like he shouldn't run like that. Like disrespectful. And then sort of like being like, all right. So that's like the, that's the town's take. Like we don't like Bryce because he's this cocky kid that busts it down the line, which is a weird take. But I was like, okay. I I was like, I can get behind that. Like, that's what we're going to be mad at our rival about. Right. Like it wasn't like, I don't, I didn't buy in, but I was like, okay, sure. You were actually on the other side. You were actually, when I saw it, I was on the other side. When I I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this kid is out of his mind. He's going to get to first base (laughs) or die trying. Um, And, and so I liked that. And then everybody was against it. And so I was like, okay, if that's how we're going to choose to like, you know, it's like it's hard deep, to just like deep Jacob inside Mar- now, and I would imagine you're like, "Damn, I'm glad I was right about that guy." Uh, I don't really think that I've ever thought about it, but probably yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, like you know, it's hard to dislike like Clayton Kershaw. He's a Dodger. I dislike him, but man, can he pitch? Or, or Degrom, right? Like, you go like, mm. but he's also so great that like. You know, I just I want him to lose every game to the Phillies, one nothing. That's all. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, I, but I want him to pitch amazing because he's so good. So it's like it's that weird like like appreciation of someone so good. Um, so I remember everybody being like mad about that with Bryce and sort of like sort of like changing my view to be like to get on board. Yeah. And then another like three or four days went so i like kind of tried to shift into the like we don't like bryce camp right and then another like three or four games went by and it was strasburg had a start and they interviewed bryce and somebody asked him he was like brand new right he was a kid somebody asked him why he runs so hard down the first baseline and he was like you go hard like that was his reason like that was his whole reason he was like you go like i don't remember what he said but he was like you go hard and i was like nah i like this kid (laughs) like i just gave up on the thing that everybody was i was just like no i I like this kid too much so man so i like that i think those are the best sort of those are good examples i can come up with i got i got i actually had two like non-sports ones right um one that i was probably early to the game on and one that I, I, it took me a while, and now I finally can admit, man, I was wrong, and it was one of the greatest things ever. So I'll start with the one I was wrong on. Amazon. I was so late to the Amazon show and also a detractor of Amazon early on. I was the dude who was like, how do you know you're going to get this stuff? Uh, yeah, like, like there's no way. Yeah, you were a little this late is to a, online shopping generally. Yeah, yeah. This this is like, yeah, yes. I was late to online shopping. One Actually, yeah, put it all in a bucket. Online shopping. Um, I totally was a detractor in the beginning. Like, I, I'm not going online shopping. You, you, you need to try things on. You need to do. And uh, now, 
I like, I admit, like I stuck to it for a long time too. But about two years ago, I gave in and I finally admitted that I was wrong. And online shopping is amazing. One of the greatest things ever. Um, and I, I love it. I love it. You know, especially because you don't get great experiences in stores anyway now. The company is almost like dis discouraging you to go to the store. There's nobody there. No one to help you. Half the time, the clothes, especially if you're talking clothes, half the time, it, like, nothing's there. The person you know. that just that's working there just started. They don't know it. Yeah. They don't know yeah. any more than you do. They're just reading the label. Exactly. So that I would say online shopping. Netflix would be another one too. I did not think Netflix was like I was like, what is this? Like when it started out with like the sing DVDs back and all I was like, I'm not doing all that, man. This is terrible. Uh and then the streaming came along and I was like, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. But in the beginning of Netflix's run. I was, this is going to be over and done with. You know, I was like a Redbox guy, man. I was like, oh, why would I want to order DVDs and, I mean, and send them back when I can go to Redbox and just drive it there and take it back when I'm done? And then Netflix just, like, destroyed the game with the whole streaming and, and like, changed everything. Uh, the one thing I was right about, though, streaming music. Streaming music early on when I remember when Apple first released and I, still to this day, I, I don't use my Apple phone for nearly the things that I probably could. My biggest use is streaming music. And I, I remember when the first Apple phone dropped, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'll be able to use my phone and stream music. And if you're, like, you're an idiot, there's so much more that you'll be able to do with that phone that stream music. And I tell you what, when they dropped, like shortly after that, all the music streaming platform, like the whole music industry just like changed. It was like right after Apple dropped and the phone and the, the you know, all of it. They had did the work already with the pods and all that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, it was literally like that dropped in like, oh, what, five or six? Yeah, and probably about like maybe two to three years later, death the CDs and the whole music industry just like, it totally just went bonkers, you know? You know what, I when I was loving when I was I right wait. on I was so right on podcasts. Okay, yes. That was when I so, was out on. So uh well oh, Yeah, you you wouldn't one. have been if you'd have tried one though. Yeah. Cuz cuz you like to talk radio. So you, people who I like to talk radio also like podcasts. Like the the thing goes yeah. and it's just podcasts are just like talk radio but smart. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And so so I was uh I mean, this is back when you and I knew each other. Like, when, when yeah, we you were. Together. I like, remember you were doing. Podcasts I was a. Then. I was. I was a podcast guy at like, you know, early, early two, in the like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I was like, in my earbuds podcast, but I was out on audiobooks, and now I'm in on audiobooks because of this show. <laughs> I was See? like, why would you like? Wouldn't you want to sit down? And now I'm like, huh? It's actually pretty great. You just, you just can just listen to the audiobook. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 I, I and I'd say the moral of, of the conversation is like you just never know, man. Even from a business standpoint, like that ability to pivot and just be kind of open and not be predetermined and not get caught up in like what you think something's supposed to be. Yeah. It's like when all the good things happen, when you just allow it to fall into its place. Yeah, really try not to dig in. Is like I I don't know, uh 
you might be wrong mm-hmm. about whatever it is that you think, right? And so, like, I don't know. I'm less sure. I'm more sure. The thing that I'm, like, like pretty dug in on, I guess, right now, is that mostly people aren't trying enough experiments. Yes. Like, mostly people and ideas and companies and everybody is like, oh, we did this thing. That's what we're about now. And they just dig right in and they're like, this is what we do. And if you look at like successful companies, successful people, whatever, um, you know, the successful people are like, you'll be like, oh, what are you into? And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a UFC fighter. And like they go, they go all in and then they're like, and also I like bird watching. Yeah. You know, and you're like, <laughs> huh? Because it's like they're like they're a full person. They're like, well, I tried this weird thing and it turns out I really like it. Like that's what a successful human looks like and yeah. uh and so that's kind of you know like don't dig into one thing and just be like this is my entire identity those are what that's what unhappy people look like you see mm-hmm. them they'll you know they're ran they're they have the banner of their favorite politician that they're like going on or they just parrot whatever the opinions of everybody else are instead of being like oh yeah over the weekend i was doing basket weaving like and that person's like really exciting to talk to because they have like unique and interesting stuff to say so you know, be about basket weaving, I guess. Yeah, no, that great. Listen, I totally agree. My entire life, like, trajectory changed in terms of, I'd say in terms of, like, just my energy, my, like, thirst for life, my thirst for, like, challenge and stuff like that changed. Once I decided I was just going to, like, do shit that I never did before. Like, you know what I mean? Like, once I decided to do shit I never did before, everything changed. Like, like I had probably, this week in, in my career, I probably had just came out the most challenging, you know, stretch. And it wasn't anything, like, crazy or out of the yeah. norm. But it was challenging. And at the end of it all, the one thing that's dope at the end of all challenges you learn so much about you, about whatever it is that you're doing, about your surroundings. You just learn so much. And that's the beauty of like, yo, it's cliche, but no one grows in comfortable environments. No one grows in comfortable environments. When you're uncomfortable and you're being challenged and pushed, that's the moment you're gonna have the most growth in life from an emotional standpoint, from a physical standpoint, you know, all of that. It, yeah. It's what makes you grow. So, you know, sometimes having a boring, still water type of life uh, is not always great. Good at times. I like boring, still water life at times, but it can't be every day. It can't be. Yeah, there's a, just like everything else, there's balance, you know, so I think it's interesting. But, uh, well, that actually is a pretty nice lead in. Segway. Well, yes. Well, yeah, because we're reading Michael K. Williams' uh, autobiography. I guess it's more like just a it's series of yeah, vignettes, mem- memoir. Yeah, yeah. Yep, memoir. It's uh, yes, um, yeah, scenes from my life, Michael yeah. K. Williams. Yeah, and uh, you know he he's this kid who grew up in essentially like three blocks, right? Like he he grew hmm. up in in the city left. ghetto he, of America. You yep, pick and a never name, left. Pick never left the place, and then meets some people, and all of a sudden he's going down to you know, different parts of New York and sort of like experiencing the world and finding places that he fits in better. Um, 
and he goes like, oh, okay, so there's there's a bigger world out there. Not that he necessarily is able to grab onto it, but he definitely experiences it um, and, and has that same sort of experience where, like, he he tries out something new and goes like, oh, there's there's more to it than just this. It it gave it gave him hope. It gave him hope. It gave him purpose. Um, just being able to leave. So he was from Brooklyn. Um, uh, I guess uh, the Veer is what they what is his the name uh, of it name of his his area was called and he talks about how he goes to um the village right which which was you know back in those times i, I get in in the in in every chapter i don't know if he comes out and talks about his his sexuality in a definitive way but i know like he's kind of confused as he says in a book at certain times of you know whether or not he was homosexual or preferred woman or whatever he, he just he was unclear at this point in his life and he knew that he had you know different feelings for for both genders that were you know like this desire for both genders and uh so he's just experimenting you know he he's he's experimenting he's figuring things out and um yeah, I think it opened up his opened up a door for like the possibilities of, of kind of what life could be um, for him and got him to kind of believe that there's more out there than what he's seen in those three blocks, you know, and there's a and there's a place for people like him, you know, um, it, it was pretty interesting. Definitely. You know, he doesn't he doesn't come out directly to your point. Right. And like talk about like what. Is he gay? Is he straight? Is he bisexual? What, you know, what is it? He doesn't come out and address that directly, but he does kind of say like in the lens of a 15 year old, I knew that I wanted some things that weren't normal. And I knew for sure that the world that I was living in wasn't interested in me wanting those things, right? Like Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. that I was living in, you know, um, Sarah and I actually talked about it the other day. Like when you're, when we were 16 years old, you, when, when we were, I'm a couple years older than you, like there weren't gay people. You know what I mean? Like there, there was a theory of gay people out there in the world, but you didn't encounter them. Yeah. You know? I guess, yeah. And the I world's guess changed like, a lot in the last yeah. 10 or 15 years. And Michael K. Williams is 10 years older than us. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. And I think like, even just like what you're saying, just so people don't get it confused is that, People just weren't open about it. Yeah, it just, you didn't know it, it wasn't something. Yeah, yeah, it just wasn't something like in high school now. You know, ch- kids are way more open about you know the feelings that they they have at this fifteen year old age. When when we were in high school, there wasn't a there wasn't a single kid. There were plenty of of people who were gay in, in the high school that I went to. I know now. Now to this day, as they've gotten older, some have come out like sure. they've exist and they've always exist in school. But in those days, there was none. Not one. Yeah. Not one kid ever really came out. Now maybe there was like one that you know secretly came out, you know, to a select group of friends, right? You know, but nobody that like could live in their truth at fifteen. Yep. And and so a lot of people, had, you know, you had to like kind of like go to this underworld. And both of us had the opportunity to grow up in like privileged high schools, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we had an experience where like 
if you were going to be different, the safest place that you were going to be able to do it in the 90s, you and I were fortunate enough to go to those kind of schools. Yeah, and you, you Michael would K. Williams, so. Michael K. Williams, you're talking about the late 70s or early 80s and schools that were rougher than the ones that you and I were fortunate yeah. enough to get to go to. And he and, and other issues. You know what I mean? Other sure. other other challenges just to be able to, you know, be able to, to go to high school. Like other challenges, things that he had to like overcome that were before he can even think about like being bullied for his sexuality. Like just, you know, what he wore, he could be, you know, having to fight his way to the school. You know, so like he had we were in first world problem stuff. And he, he, he was dealing with, like, the basics of just, like, getting from his house to school was a challenge, you yep. know, let alone trying to also put another target on his back, which it would have been in that times. 100%. Of, like, would have been, would have been in our time, so it would have really been in his time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's interesting just, like, who knows if he would have even I, – I thought about, so listening to the chapter – and I wonder if, like, as he put together his memoirs here, if that was an important part to put in mainly because he felt like him in search of his sexuality a little bit was one of the reasons why he got to see almost, he got to understand that the world was bigger than what he came from. Because maybe if he didn't feel like he was different from everybody in his community, he may have, you know, like just stayed hanging out on with, with the guys in the neighborhood and just got mixed up in all the all the other stuff. Like being, you know, like for me, growing up in in similar environment, you know, was like one thing that I, we always talk about. It's like there's not just two types of kids, but there's an there's this time in your life as a kid where everybody's playing video games, everybody's like. Everybody's playing games in the middle street, whether it's football, basketball. You know, there's there's a moment in your life where everybody's trying these things. And then you start to hit your, like, 10-year-old age, 11, like, you're going into your teens. And now everybody's starting to figure out what they're good at. And And as you figure out what you're good at, you start to link up with the different people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I look at my cousins, gang of cousins, right? And I just, we always talk about how, like, everybody who found out at the age of 10 or 11, they were good at sports. We we all just went to this sports road. We played sports. All we did was sports. We never got into drugs. We never ran the streets. We just, we just played ball. Like, right. that, like that was just what we did. And we, you know, our weekends, our day after schools, everything was focused on just sports. And then I had other cousins who, by the time we got to, like, 11 years old or whatever, they kind of realized, like, oh, I don't like this. You know, this is, like, this ain't me. Sports, I'm not a fan. I care less. I don't want to watch it. And then they went this other way where they started hanging out and, you know, just getting into stuff. You know what I mean? Because they just they couldn't come. They didn't want to go with the sports kids. You know what I mean? And then there would be this small part, this small portion of people who were into art and into sure. like reading and all of that. And, and, you know, they would stay inside and eventually like, as you get older, you know, people would just fall off, fall off. Like the hope would just be less and less and less. And eventually the people who actually 
you know, kind of meet met their fullest potential or close to it would be people who found eventually find hope beyond that seven block neighborhood. But everybody who stays in that seven block neighborhood, unfortunately, a lot of times they fall victim to, you know, what can be perceived as like hopelessness inside of that seven block neighborhood. It's, it's weird because on the one hand you want to be able to say like, Hey, you know, people should be able to stay where they, where they're from, right? Like people should be able to grow up somewhere and have a sense of identity that is the place that they are. Right. Um, and that's true and good and important. Right. Mm-hmm. And also the being pulled from your identity like you know in your case you were like literally pulled out of your identity right like you were mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you're not gonna go to this school you're gonna go to this one mm-hmm. um so exactly. um or like me later in life moving from philadelphia to colorado like all of a sudden i realized like oh i was doing it wrong all that all that time <laughs> like i didn't know you know like but i was doing it wrong and, and mm-hmm. could have done it could have done it a lot better right and mm-hmm. you so on the one hand i want people to be able able to stay you know and be like i you know i never left home and this is this is my home and this, but also i don't want it to be out of hopelessness and despair so exactly it, it, it's weird because in the michael k williams book you see he's he sees the world out there he sees it and then he goes and smokes crack and mm-hmm. stay and stays in a one and he like describes being in this one room apartment and like that becoming his world, right? And you go, like, yep. oh, I see. <laughs> you know, and so it's despair and hopelessness that keep him there, as opposed to a sense of identity and self, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying necessarily, but that's kind of like where, what I was thinking about. No, but you're 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 100 right, and I, and that was kind of going to be, you know, my my second point was so for me like you said, I had that opportunity to see, see kind of both sides of it. And it doesn't just exist. And, you know, these ghetto neighborhoods, I guess you can call them, right? It exists out in the suburbs as well. The importance of like, the importance of leaving the nest and seeing the world and challenging yourself and like going out and just being able to see allows people to like, hope and dream and want and all you know all of that good stuff like yes being home you know born here you know die here this is my community like all that works as well but you also you need to you need to see what the rest of the world has to offer it needs to be a choice (laughs) well yeah and and it also just like we're doing here with these books you don't have to actually leave home to, to, to have your mind dream up of, you know, like all the possibilities of what things could be for you. You know what I mean? You don't, some people need to leave home, but not, you know, that's not an actual requirement of being able to have an open mind to be able to try and find and live your purpose. Um, it, it, for some people, again, they need it. You know, it was one of the things that triggered you being able to up and leave got you, you know, opened you up in, in a different way. You know, but not everybody necessarily need that. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I think having children and being a father 
you know, help open me up to my purpose. And but yeah, I, I think certainly it, a version of it, right? Yes, yes. I think a change in life totally impacts that. Some people come to like near death experiences, and that does it. You know what I mean? Some people read something one day, and it totally, it, you know, like totally just changes their entire outlook on life, and like clicks something just triggers. But it is important, like, you know, if I take anything from these chapters, it's so important to always remember how big the world is and not to be caught up in just your little world. Don't be like Michael K. Williams. Don't trap yourself in a studio apartment and enclose your world to being this, you know, small little space that you only live in. This world is huge, man, and the possibilities are endless, endless. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I don't know what 15-year-old version of you would have thought, of, you know, would have thought you'd be, you know, 40 and having a book club. You know what oh, I mean? Never, never <laughs> like, in a million years. <laughs> never in a million years. So, you know, that that sort of being willing to experiment, try out new things, consider the world in a different world, in a different way, you're right. I think it, it doesn't necessarily have to tie to place, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be, I'm from here and this is the only place that I want to be. It could also be broader than that. So... But again, it's that choice. It's that understanding of like, well, there is a big wide world out there, but here's why I like it here. Here's what works for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing this as opposed to not even willing to experience that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Finding purpose, man. There's many ways to finding it, but finding purpose is, is a necessity in life. Without it, you're just here. Yeah, man. You know? So uh, what do you say? Uh, next chapters are seven through 10, seven through nine. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how are you enjoying the book so far? Oh, I love it. Yeah. You know, I love it. It, it. To me, like this, you know, this is my type of book. Sure. You know what I mean? Just the stories and hearing the, the honesty and how he's telling these stories. Like he's not just giving you like, uh, I don't know. I've been in these hard times and. My life was so messed up. And it like, nah, there's like this balance of truth where it's like, man, I had a mother that loved me right. more than you could even imagine. You know, and even when he tells the story of his father, where he's like, yeah, he left, he ran, you know, he went and he, he wasn't present enough. But like, if I would, you know, like, I think at one moment he was like, he was talking to us, he moved with his father and when he, when he got into the early, you know, dealing with crack and all of that. And he went to his dad's to kind of try to clean up. And uh, even in that moment, it was this vulnerability of like, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have been so hard on a guy because, you know, he was a good guy. And I think he made a poor decision and I probably shouldn't have been as hard as I was on him, but I was hurting for my mother. But, you know, like even in that moment, like realizing like how much love he had, you know, and, and that, it, it just, to me, like, that book represents a lot of, like, kind of the way I feel about life. Like, I've, I've never felt like I didn't have a lot because I always had so much love around me that I never felt like I didn't have a lot. Mm. There was never a time where I felt like I was poor. Yeah, yeah. And I, financially, there was probably some times where, yeah, we were poor, but I never felt poor ever. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm re- it's resonating with me. How about you? Yeah, I like it. I like it. You know, he's uh, he's he's really thoughtful. I, I I don't know. Again, he I think we talked about it last week. Maybe it was the week before, but like, he's uh, 
he's got this ability to like remember moments in his life and i wish that my brain worked like that right like <laughs> my brain doesn't do that like pull out stories and then reflect on them like it's just not the way that my brain works <laughs> did, at all did so, you hear that the, the one of my favorite parts in these chapters was when he talks about the uh trash chute that's at um in each floor oh, yeah. of and the project left left the trash there yeah yeah and the ranch man. and then he talk and then he does this this awesome thing where he tells that story and you think like oh he's about to tell a story about like something that's connected to this trash chute where like maybe his mom makes him clean it up and push all the trash down but no he tells that to paint that picture and then he takes you into his apartment and he breaks down the pristine layout yeah. of the apartment. Well, I just that was one of my favorite parts of the book because all I could hear was my grandmother like, "Get up and go sweep that porch off. We don't live in, you know, we we might live in this in this in the hood or whatever she would call it, but we not gonna act like everybody else around here." And she would have us all outside sweeping and picking up the trash. Of course, the trash that we threw. Sure, down on we the ground kids. because we were kids and and we lived in an environment where you look to your neighbor and like someone was you know pissing in the alleyway or kid drinks the juice and you just throw it in the street like we we lived in that environment so we followed along but my grandmother man every morning she woke us up and had us clean our little front area sweep the porch off spray it down with water and like get ready for the day and she always would say, like, nah, we not live, you know, I'm not raising y'all to be like that. And uh, I carried that with me. And even when I moved out with my other grandmother in, in, in media, you know, which brought me to the better school district and all of that, sure. she used to always, I, I did it once in front of her. And boy, she got on me. She said, you, we do not do that around here. I'm going to get the city out of you if it kills me, boy. And that was, <laughs> and it changed. So it just, that's, it all reminded me of that. Like, that was my childhood. Plastic covers, clean, pristine house. And you have parents who, like, look at the neighborhood and they know where they live, but they're like, listen, this is my space. This is what I have. And, and because it's what I have and I work hard for, it's going to be in the best shape ever. It's going to be in the best shape ever. Yeah, I I liked a lot. He he does it a couple of times where he just like sort of like says, "This is the world as it was," and and it's just an observation, and he moves on, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which the pizza box or the the trash shoot story was a pretty good version of that. There was like a a brief touch on, you know, we played sports in the in the on the concrete, mm -hmm. and it's snow. We did it too. You Whenever know, it and, snowed and he's out just there. Like, He's just, he just explains that that's just the way that it was. Mm -hmm. And what? then he moves on. Like, he doesn't, like, mm -hmm. dwell on it or tell you nope. a big story about it. He's like, we played touch football, and it was tackle when it snowed. It was on it's tackle when it snows, and yeah. I have scars <laughs> on my elbows and knees to prove it. And then he moves on. And, like, that's it. You know, yeah. it's, it's an interesting that, way to sort of, like, reflect. That one hit, too. Snow, snow time, you could play tackle in the, kind, in the street. Yeah. Man, it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, cool. Yeah. You got any uh, got any updates you want to go over? Yeah, actually, we haven't talked much on the business in in, in quite some time, man. Um, yeah, we're, we're things are going well, man. What we what we have is we got a couple events coming up that we're gonna do some do some catering. Honestly, out of just like nothing else is happening, and we keep getting asked to do these catering gigs. So we're um, we're doing a 
three events, two in October, one in November. Um, the two in October are for family, so, you know, you can't say no. Um, or at least I'm not going to say no. It's just, they just want us to cook. It's nothing crazy. Um, and then the other one is in November. And, uh, you know, this one, this one's good. It was one from an event we did before we got a customer who wanted us to do their event. Um, so, you know, they like our work. They like the food. They, you know, they like the story. So they want us to, to do an event. It's nothing crazy. Um, bunch of appetizers is what they're thinking. So we got to finish putting together like a mock menu of what it could be and, you know, build out from there. But yeah, so that's exciting. And then as far as me and the missus, like we're working towards our, you know, our, our goal for next summer, we started the process of getting, getting the LLC for that side of things and made some calls to kind of figure out this food truck thing. Um, Got some decisions to make there as far as whether we're going to go trailer or truck. I'm not sure yet. Um, the difference is like $50,000, um, a food truck versus a food trailer. Um, the trailer is like 40,000. The truck is like 90,000. So, you know, from the way this podcast works, the trailer is totally the, the idea, ideal wise in terms of like, you know, um, <clears throat> You know, lean startups. That's sure. the route that we're really thinking, and we might be able to find something used that might even be a better deal than that. Um, but then it's the, the logistics behind it that we're trying to figure out. Like, where do we park it? How can we park it and leave it? Or is it going to have to be something we're moving every day? And what work comes into that? Um, so you know, trying to figure all that out. You know, is our truck big enough to pull it and all that type stuff? So um, you know, we're doing homework. Yeah, I mean the 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 process style would be to get like the smallest possible truck, right? Like the smallest possible trailer, right? Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. and validate and kind of grow and then step up, right? So, but then you're also like you said, you have to make these trade offs of like, well, you know, can the can the thing tow it, and how does that all work, and that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So exactly, that's what we're working on, and and I'm leaning trailer as well. Even the truck, like I don't know, like neither of us drive stick you know but they do make them automatic and and you know where do you park that and so there's like all these questions to be answered and uh i think the least money you have to tie yourself to ideally the better the lower the risk because then you don't have to you're not betting at all um so that that's that's where i'm leaning uh but it, it would have to just all make sense also to lower the stress, right? Like exactly. From exactly. what I from what I recall, Ash wants to sell cinnamon buns. Yeah, or some, which yeah, is, some, which something which is something awesome. along those I think yeah. something along those lines. She's probably not locked she's not totally locked in, but something that's like a quick straightforward. Straightforward, yeah. fun, you know, it's not gonna be like slices of cake. Yeah. It's gonna be a reason that you're coming because this is what this lady does. And that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like you go mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, but that might turn into donuts. You know what I yes. mean? Like, like yeah. the the specifics of it aren't really nailed down. Exactly. Exactly. And it feels, my intuition tells me, hmm, if you don't specifically know, you shouldn't specifically build out the perfect truck. You should instead go with something more, you know, 
more yeah, ver- general versatility. Yeah. Where you can be like, oh, you know, like, like quick, let's paint the trailer green and start selling smoothies. Like, you know, whatever the gate, you know, like, because the market demands it or, or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, like, yeah. as you figure lot, it out. A lot of versatility is what you want. You want the ability to have versatility and Seth would call things. it optionality. Optionality. Not just, not, no, Seth wouldn't call it that. Hanky would. Uh, yeah, well, Hanky, Hanky does too. It's Seth is Seth just did a, a whole podcast on on optionality that I was listening to. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Seth. Seth, who Seth Hanky, Hanky, you know that uh, Mari, you know what I mean? Like, like exactly. The yeah. dude, that dude, that dude in uh, Oklahoma City, he's good at it too. Yeah, optionality, baby. Yeah. What uh, what do you got? How, how's everything going with the with the uh, comic helpers? Actually, finally. JD? No, 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 not JD. JD's, dude, JD's soon. He's so soon. He's like right there. I promise. (laughs) We're going to have a JD update soon. All right, all right. Good, uh, good, good. I've been like, I've been dealing with like a technical issue um, that's like locked, sort of moving forward on the product for a while. Um, And, you know, I can only spend so much time, right? And this specific problem, like, in order to test it, it took like, 25 minutes each time that i would want to test does this fix it Mm. and it was brutal so i would like test it but like it's immediately like it immediately saps you of your desire to keep going right so Mm. like i would do like two or three tests a day trying to solve this problem and i finally just like was like you know what i'm gonna give up and i'm gonna rip it out and i did it and uh it totally worked so i ripped it out it totally worked um if you go to comicshelper.com now, it 404s. It's broken. If you go to the app, it works, right? So, um, but if you just like tried to go to the web page, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. And uh, I'll have that probably up by the end of the week or so. And like now, I can actually start moving again with some with some in, intentionality. So, it's pretty nice to finally be back moving in the right direction. So, very mm. excited. Very excited about that. Um, and yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to build a bunch of, bunch of quick stuff and onboard JD. I think I'll get him in, uh, in the next, in the next couple of weeks for sure. So we'll have two customers yeah. that, are, that that's going to be big. I, I did go into the shop the other day and like, um, talk to the, there's a, uh, a young lady who's like the, the manager at the one, the one store. I actually got to like watch her use the app and like get some like direct feedback from her she uses so like i have a couple of like marching orders to make the app a little bit better for her so things are good man things are really good how how how'd she say it was working though oh they love it it's crazy oh that's dope they they do love it and so she was like well you know one of the things that i really want to be able to do is message these people and i was like oh you can do that already and she was like really and i was like yeah you do it like this so it kind of made me realize like i need to be able to surface they're not the people who are using my app are not explorers. They're not like clicking buttons to see if stuff works. You know what I mean? They're not like, they're not experimenting. They're not clicking the learn more about this feature button. You know mm. what I mean? <laughs> like it's there, mm. but they're not clicking it. So they I also, I think like walk them through. They need some more like nudges. So I need to think about that a little bit too, from like a user experience perspective, like there, I, I would say that their their identity is a little closer to yours, right? Like they're a little bit more on the I don't want to break it, so I don't want to click that. Like yeah. is is their intuition about tech, and that's probably closer to your style. 
Whereas, like, my style is like, huh, let me click this. What does this do? Huh, let me click it. So I gotta, I think I need to, like, design my user experience a little bit more towards that. Keeping that in mind, because probably I need more customers to be sure, but, like, JD, the other people, like, right? Other folks are gonna, I think, be similar. They're gonna be like, oh, this is the app. This is what it does. It just does these things. And I only look at this, and I'm like, well, what about this over here? And they're like, oh, I never looked at that. And I'm like, okay. All right, <laughs> I gotta gotta think about that. Now, so. are, is the app available in the App Store? Uh, well, it's not an App Store app; it's just a website app. Like so, oh. similar, similar to your Shopify app, right? Where you oh, go yeah. onto the web page and you go into the back office and you get a back office. Similar oh. to that. Oh, so got you. So they so they have the app. Yeah, they go the in. Store and they have their the own. App. Yep. So um, they can go in and like manage their customers and look at stuff, but like. The, the rate at which they're transferring, they're getting customer emails is pretty low, right? So, like, one of the things that I need to do is, like, maybe do some pop-ups when they're on the customer screen. That's like, hey, this customer doesn't have an email. Ask them for their email. Like, that kind of uh, stuff. Gotcha, like, gotcha, encourage gotcha. the behavior that I need so gotcha. that I can do things like, hey, you know, we want to do marketing campaigns around new comic books that are coming out. Gotcha. That's, like, one of the big features of the app that I want to build. So you got it. So now you got to actually get them to understand the importance of having all every customer that purchases, visits, whatever, to having an email for them. Like that's the goal. That's the win. That's, that's the, what takes you that's to the, the next, next level. One. Yep. Because if you think about it, like the the app that I built, I built specifically for one comic shop, right? Like directly, like here's what it is to these specific customers' uh, problems. So. It's great for that, but it doesn't do anything other than solve that one problem, right? Mm-hmm. And the intuition is, sure, I can do this thing that solves this, like, sort of creativity or th- this this customer logging problem, right? Like, that's the problem of, hey, you know, Bob wants to keep track of Amazing Spider-Man. Buy him Amazing Spider-Man. Where the value is, is the people who run the comic shop know what's coming in four months, Right? And the mm-hmm. customer doesn't know what's coming in four months because the customer doesn't keep up on it. In life, we have too much to keep up on. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like build a tool that allows the guy running the comic shop or the gal running the comic shop to advertise this new upcoming book to the subsets of customers that they think will like it. Got you. So that's where I'm trying to get to, and that's going to be more of a challenge over time. So we'll have to figure it out, but mm-hmm. you know, baby steps. So that's where I'd really like to be is like, hey, I think that you're going to like this book. So I'm going to send you this three email sequence that says, you know, we're excited about this comic book that's coming out. And then another one. Hey, don't forget to, you know, shoot us a message and order this comic book and final orders for this comic book. Like so that that way the person's like, oh, yeah, I do want to read that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, it should be good. That works, man. Awesome. All right, Vernon, so uh, where can people find us? They can find us on the process at theprocessesblackandwhite.com, and they can search us on all your social media platforms. Uh, search The Process is Black and White, and we'll pop right up. All right, man, good show. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you too, bro. Have a good day.